Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Hello, Bill Bant. Good to see you today. Can't wait to do this mini-sode. Tell us what it's all about, my friend. All right. This week, we have a special mini-sode for you. Jason and I are going to list five movies we feel are under the radar from the 80s. These are movies Jason and I watched a lot growing up. But we don't think they're quite episode worthy for our show, but we want to give them a shout out because they meant something to us. They could be good movies. They could be bad movies. But here are 10 under the radar films from the 1980s. Outstanding. I'm going to do my own little intro right now, Bill Bant, if you will allow me. Go for it. Um, Thank you. This is going to be fun, man. This was a great exercise. Because it's difficult to discern between what is a cult classic, what's an under-the-radar film for me personally. So, yeah, it was fun because I was going, is this a movie that would be discussed often at the water cooler? Is this a movie that is often discussed within popular culture, whether it be today or even within the popular culture of the last 20 years or so? And that's kind of how I judged it or figured it out for myself. So this will be interesting to go over the list. Regardless, it was fun just trying to break down because it was a discovery process for me. And I discovered that the bottom line is, Bill Bant, you and I will never run out of movies to do for the All 80s Movies podcast. Ever. So true. Ever. So many movies. And it's awesome. So I'm ready to do this if you are, my friend. All right. So these lists are in no particular order, and Jason and I have not discussed our lists with one another, so each of us will be just as surprised as the listener. So Jason, why don't you go first? What do you got for Under the Radar? Okay, number one for me, Under the Radar was, wait for it. So I was, (laughs) I'm going to make you wait for it even longer. I was thinking of coming of age, teenage high school movies. And this particular film is anxiety-ridden, but a ton of fun. Came out in 1987. And I I don't know if you could even say there are any big stars in this. I'm just going to say it. The movie is called Three O'Clock High. This could be considered a cult classic by many. I understand that. So could it be worthy of our podcast? Absolutely. So I'm probably breaking some rules already, but... For me, this film is not necessarily mentioned in the pop culture or popular culture, I should say, today. I don't hear it in discussion often, if at all. And I am a fan of this movie. I just think it's a ton of fun. This film came out in 1987. It was directed by Phil Jeannot or Janou. Funny enough, in a different podcast that you and I were guest hosts on, I had mentioned this director because he also did another film, which I feel is under the radar, called... State of Grace, which would have definitely been on this list. However, that film came out in 1990, I think. So just missed the cut. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Phil Genou, who is uh, also known mainly for directing U2 documentaries and music videos. He did the uh, U2 documentary, uh, Rattle and Hum. So Three O'Clock High, 1987, starring Casey Sismasco. Sismasco, Masco, Sismasco, Masco. There we go. Casey Samasco, Annie Ryan, 
and Richard Tyson. Here is the IMDb logline. A nerd gets himself in hot water with the new bully, a quiet bad boy who challenges him to a fight on the grounds of their high school after the day's end. And there you have it. So we have Casey Samasco. Uh, Samasco? Say it for me, Bill. Samasco. It's just Samasco? I think it is. I just want to say size, seismic, seismic, seismore. So Casey plays the role of Jerry, uh, and he's going up against the school bully named Buddy, played by Richard Tyson. And immediately, Richard Tyson is one of those character actors that is recognizable. Um, you might know him from a film called Two Moon Junction. Yes. He's also, for me, in another classic film. He's the bad guy in Kindergarten Cop, the Schwarzenegger fun film. Yep. And then clearly a friend of the Farrelly brothers, because he would show up in cameos in the films Kingpin. There's something about Mary, me, myself and Irene. So maybe you can picture Richard Tyson. He is the bully named Buddy in Three O'Clock High. And this movie is a lot of fun. So you, we have Jerry, who uh, is befriending a new transfer, Buddy. And Buddy's a big guy, and he looks like a bully, and he is a bully. And uh, Jerry and Buddy get into it in the bathroom. Bottom line is Buddy says, uh, challenges him to the uh, fight at 3 o'clock when school gets out in the parking lots. And Jerry is a smaller gentleman (laughs) and very intimidated and scared out of his mind. And he's trying to get out of this fight the entire school day. He's trying to avoid it. And it's just a lot of fun to watch him sweating it out, looking at the clock, counting down the seconds as you hear the as the second hand keeps ticking along and he's just dreading three o'clock high. And here's the most like memorable thing from this film for me. And it's two words, Bill Bam. Brass knuckles. So we know that Buddy, the thug, the bully, has these brass knuckles that he's been knocking people out with. And that's his like secret weapon, even though he's already a big dude and he can just knock people out with his fists uh, or bare fists, I should say. Uh, He's got these brass knuckles. And then in the climactic fight, spoiler alert, he drops the knuckles. And I believe it's Jerry's six uh, sister that picks them up and sneaks them to Jerry. Jerry uses the brass knuckles on buddy, knocking him out. Jerry is the big hero. And then of course, the word travels around school and all these tall tales are being spread about Jerry being this uh, tough guy, which is really funny. So it's a, it's a great coming of age, teenage high school comedy that I feel is under the radar. And are you familiar with this film? Bill? Yes. Good choice. I do remember it. I do remember seeing it. I forgot the ending to be honest, but just saying that it's like, Oh, I got to watch that movie again. Cause I do kind of remember, and I do remember, you know, uh, Richard Tyson, of course, for two mood junction, because that was late night cable, like every other week oh, with uh, really, Cheryl and Finn. Yeah. It felt like a Skinamax. Yes. Like, you know, like late night Cinemax movie, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, with uh, Casey Samasco, who you would know, um, small role in Back to the Future. He was one of like Biff's buddies. He was also in one of the Young Guns. That's right. The first one. I forgot to mention that. Thank you for saying that. I was going to say, yeah, he and pops then, up in Young Guns. And then he was in this underrated movie with uh, Burt Reynolds about their um, burglars. I can't remember the title of it. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I know him from. Um, and then he just, I don't know, he just seemed to disappear. 
He but, does. Uh, and if you check out his IMDb, he he worked for a, a bit, but uh, he did kind of fall off the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's uh, he's great in this. And the movie, I just recall, I mean, it does move pretty quickly. And I think it's only like an hour and a half long. Uh, so it's your standard 80s comedy, you know, running time. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a, that's a good first pick. That that's that is a possible future episode, right? The thing is, throughout the entire film, you're really anticipating the big fight at the end. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? You know, and so you are just as you become just as anxious as Casey in the movie, and then when it finally does, it's a great climactic ending, and you really. Uh, the anxiety is finally gone. It's finally over and the good guy wins. So you get your happy ending. Awesome. Yeah. Good first choice. So for my first choice, it's the movie that actually sparked the idea to do this mini because a couple episodes ago we did um, Spaceballs. Right. And uh, Daphne Zuniga was the main actress in the film. And I was kind of like, oh, what else does she do? And there was this movie she did came out in 1989. I used to watch it for some reason all the time. It was called Gross Anatomy. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it was uh, her, Matthew Modine. That's what uh, I was going to say. Christine Lottie and uh, Todd Field, directed by uh, Tom Eberhardt, who did one of the cult classics of the 80s, Night of the Comet. And the the tagline for this film is, no one thought a rebel like Joe Slavik would make it through medical school, but they didn't know Joe. So the movie actually stars Matthew Modine. As a medical first year medical student who takes really nothing seriously um, except for hitting on Daphne Zuniga, who's his lab partner in the gross anatomy class. It's not a great movie. It's just one of those movies. I Every time it was on, I would just kind of watch it. It focused on like five, this, these five students that were together. It was Matthew yeah. Modine, Daphne Zuniga was one of them, Todd Field was another one. And then they had two other characters, and it was just their life trying to get through this first year of medical school, all the ups and downs. Each of them, of course, had their own problems or issues. Like you kind of find out Joe is um, like a son of a fisherman and he's really poor. So he's trying to do like extra jobs just to pay for school and then try to study. And then one of the other uh, students has like a, a drug addiction just to try to help him get through studying classes and stuff like that. It's kind of weird. Cause it's almost like, before Grey's Anatomy or before ER, this was kind sure. of like a, a like a standalone kind of little medical uh, movie. Medical um, drama. Yeah. yeah. Or a so, comedy. Yeah. In a way, too. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little more on the on the dramatic side, but um, it's one of those. I don't know why I've just watched it a ton. So that that was my first pick. Great call, Bill. You know, I'm not extremely familiar. I know I've seen it. Because I can see them in their lab coats in the class looking at cadavers for some reason. I believe that's, I mean, obviously it would be an obvious scene in the film. Yeah, Matthew Modine, Daphne Zuniga, good call, man. That's definitely under the radar. I'm not sure we'll get to it on our podcast. I mean, hopefully we'll be doing this long enough that we end up doing it. Mm -hmm. I recall liking the movie. Matthew Modine, interesting actor. I've always liked him. Yeah. Because, of course, I think of Vision Quest right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Which was a coming-of-age movie for me, personally. I remember seeing that with Pat Walsh. He came over, and I believe we had rented it. And that was like a big deal. Right. Because uh, there was some mature content in that, and we were just younglings at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's why I say coming-of-age movie for me. Like I was like, oh, I'm a man now after right. seeing that. 
Um, I don't know what I don't know what I'm saying. This could go wrong really quick, but uh, good call. Yeah, I wish I could uh, comment more about that particular film. I just don't have any recollection of the the storyline or plot points. Thus, it being under the radar. Yep. All right. So, what do you got next? Number two. This film is also from 1989. Funny enough, most of my picks, Bill, are from the later. 80s, maybe not so much. I don't know. Maybe that's really when I started my fandom for all things movies in the 80s. This movie is not good. No? All it's right. not good. But it stars one of, I would say, our favorite action heroes of the 80s, J.C.V.D. Oh, Jean-Claude okay. Van Damme. This is one of his first films, although I didn't see it first. I ended up seeing it later. It's called cyborg i watched this movie a million times and i revisited a couple of scenes on youtube and <laughs> read the description again just to re-familiarize myself with it because a lot of these films obviously i've i'd seen back in the day or at during a period of time a while ago many times i watched the film over and over again but i haven't seen them for years since this is one of those movies. So upon revisiting, it's like, oh, holy shit balls. This is not good, but still fun, hyper violent. And this film, Cyborg from 1989, was directed by Albert Pion, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme as Gibson Rickenbacker, Deborah Richter, and Vincent Klein, or Klin who plays the villain named Fender Tremolo. Tremolo. Anyway, so the logline is a martial artist hunts a killer in a plague-infested urban dump of the future. So there you go. It's a dystopian future. There is the plague that's run rampant. I believe it's supposed to take place along the East Coast, uh, like also like Southern East Coast, Atlanta area, and... Jean-Claude is playing this, what's called a slinger in this universe, kind of like a bounty hunter slash protector who's supposed to get this woman who's like, I forgot this whole entire storyline until I read the description, Bill. And uh, she's like an android. Like she's been, uh, what's the word, Uh, enhanced. And so she's part cyborg and she's, he's got to help her get to Washington to see where the cure is, the cure for the, the disease for this plague. Anyway, he's being hunted by these pirates and Vincent Klein, who plays Fender, is the leader of the pirates. He's the evil baddie. And you might know him from another movie called Point Break. And he plays Warchild, one of the bad guys, one of the evil surfers oh, okay. in the movie. He's the tall, uh, he's like I believe he's African-American, Funny enough, in real life, Vincent Clyde was a surfer from New Zealand. And that's how he ended up being cast in Cyborg, was he was discovered by Albert Pion. Mm -hmm. So this movie is, like I mentioned, super, super violent. The acting is terrible. There's a lot of strange yelling. And I love doing this Jean-Claude Van Damme impersonation. I used to do this impersonation of him for Bloodsport all the time when he's like blinded toward the end. Uh, oh the, yeah, the movie. You know, and he's rubbing his eyes, and he does yes. this thing where he opens his mouth and he keeps going, ah, and he does this in slow motion repeatedly throughout Cyborg. So does Vincent Klein as the bad guy, 
they're just punching each other. It's not even a, like a well choreographed fight. They just take turns punching and kicking one another and just going ah, ah, over and over again. It's pure hilarity. So I recommend it if you want a, a good laugh. Yeah, uh, this movie is terrible. But as a kid, I was all things Jean-Claude Van Damme. So Bloodsport, Pickboxer, then Lionheart, Double Impact, Universal Soldier, the list goes on and on. But I missed Cyborg. And this did come out in the theaters. It actually did relatively well, according to the research. I was like, where was I when this came out in the movies? But I revisited it upon or visited it uh, on VHS or and then on whatever premiere channel it was on. So I had taped it and watched it over and over again, just for the fight sequences to watch JCVD do his cool kicks, especially that one kick uh, kicks to the face. That's always fun to watch mm-hmm. uh, because of his flexibility. So moments throughout this film, not a gr- lot of great moments, but I do recommend it. just watching on YouTube, the final fight scene, but it's crazy because it's six and a half minutes long and he impales the bad guy fender on a meat hook at the end. That's how he awesome. It's mm-hmm. totally violent. It's great. Does a like sweet, like jumping, like roundhouse kick to kick the guy, the bad guy onto a meat hook. It's brutal. So yeah, my number two choice, Cyborg from uh, 1989. Yeah, I got nervous at first when you said Jean-Claude and I thought you were going to say Bloodsport. And I'm like, no, we are doing Bloodsport at some point on this podcast. (laughs) We should definitely not do this movie on our podcast. No, I think I only saw this one once and I don't remember a thing about it because I remember it not being good. And I'll stick with the... Bloodsport or one of the others before I would watch this one again. And I know they made a sequel to it, but and it had all I'm, new cast. I'm glad you brought that up. Guess who's in Cyborg 2? Oh, now I can't remember. Elias Kateas, whom I'm a big fan of. Right. If I'm even saying his name right. Wonderful actor who's still prominent today. Just does great work always. And Angelina Jolie. Right. I knew there was some kind of a yeah. female, like a big female. I, right. I was, was released in 1993. Yeah, because I was thinking Melanie Griffith at first. But I'm like, no, that's Cherry 2000, which mm. would probably be another one we would never do. But right. so, yeah, Cyborg, that's a good call. Uh, What's your my, number two, man? My, my number two. All right. I'm uh, uh, embarrassed to admit this. Every time I watch this movie, I freaking cry at the end. I don't know why, but I love this movie. Came out in 1984. It was Iceman with Timothy Hutton, Linda Krauss, and John Lone. Wow. Uh, it was uh, directed by uh, Fred Cicchepi, who um, also directed um, Steve Martin and Roxanne. And basically it's about a, the tagline for the movie is a stone age man in a space age world. All he wants is a friend. So the plot is a prehistoric Neanderthal man found frozen in ice is revived by an Arctic exploration team who then attempt to use him for their own scientific means. So basically expedition up in the Antarctic. They find this man frozen in ice. They're able to thaw him and bring him back to life. And Timothy Hutton plays like the main scientist and forms a, a bond with this prehistoric man who's played by uh, John Lone. It's, it's amazing. And like over the course of the film, you find out the prehistoric man is all the way up here because he's trying to sacrifice something for his to bring his family back because i guess his family dies and he ends up like escaping the um arctic exploration caves that they have him in to try to finish his mess mission all these years later and wow. okay yeah and he mistakes like a bird or a helicopter for a bird 
And he climbs on the helicopter and like sacrifices himself, thinking that's going to bring out back his family. And he dies. And it gets me every freaking time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's just great because it's just the whole like, because there's so much of it, like just the two worlds trying to understand one another and what they have to go through so they can communicate. Right. I, I and it's just called movie. Iceman. Yeah. Iceman. Iceman. Yeah. 1984. See, it sounds familiar. Timothy Hutton, huh? Yeah. I remember it was on cable and I taped it. And every time I watched it, man, it just bring me to tears. Wow. That's great, man. Completely yeah. under the radar. Yeah. John Lone's performance is amazing. As, yeah. As Neanderthal. Like, you have no idea. Like from your description, that is something I probably came across and watched and have forgotten for whatever reason. But if I watched it now, I'd be like, oh, my God, I forgot about this movie mm-hmm. type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd have to, but I have to, now I want to look it up and see if there's anything on YouTube because uh, yeah, I haven't it watched sounds it vaguely familiar and I need to see something though, to jog my memory. Great, yeah, I, great choice. I'd like to know if I watched it again, if I'd start falling again, but <laughs> it'd be interesting. So yeah, that's my second choice. Iceman. I love it. All right. Are we ready for number three? Number three. Number three. I am going with a film entitled Let It Ride. From 1989, I have seen this movie so many times, Bill. This movie makes me feel so good. I love the hell out of this movie. Directed by Joe Pitka, starring Richard Dreyfuss as Jay Trotter, Terry Garr, and David Johansson. And it's a movie about gambling. It's a movie about betting on the ponies. Mm-hmm. And I'm immediately going to give a shout out to my buddy, Eric Aslan, whom I may have introduced me to this movie. I'm not sure. So this is a movie I rewatched millions of times much, much later, probably in the 2000s. I'm not kidding. The movie is from the 80s, but I didn't catch on to it till whatever it was, 30 years later. And I've watched it so many times since it just brings a smile to my face. Here's the log line. A nosy cab driver gets a hot tip on a racehorse and wins big, but he can't seem to stop gambling. Will he go broke or walk home with a pretty penny? One of my all-time feel-good movies. Yeah, again, my buddy Eric would watch it all the time. He was a huge fan of it because he himself would like gambling or betting on the ponies at the Santa Anita racetrack out here. And he tried to get me into that a bit, and I just had a hard time wrapping my mind around it, and I'm just not a big gambler. But it was fun going to the track. It's a beautiful track, et cetera. This movie in particular, though, Richard Dreyfus is hilarious. Uh, he plays his camp, you know, again, cab driver who has a, a gambling addiction, and he's sworn to his wife, Terry Gar, who's wonderful in this too, that he's going to quit, that he's going to stop gambling. And of course, he gets this great tip, goes to the racetrack and goes on a crazy lucky streak. And he's like, I, how could I stop now? He just keeps making all the right choices with these bets ever since he'd gotten the initial tip on the racehorse, which wins. Then he keeps going, 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 and his wife is upset, and he meets Jennifer Tilly in this movie. But one of the highlights, Bill, is Robbie Coltrane, who plays the ticket taker behind the window at the racetrack. Because Richard Dreyfus is spending the whole day there continuously placing bets, he develops this relationship with Robbie Coltrane, He's winning at the racetrack. He's paying for meals at like the little country club restaurant there at the racetrack. So now everybody at the racetrack is befriending him and you meet these characters along the way and they're cheering him on. 
And then it comes to the big race at the end. And of course, it all builds to this climactic moment where similar to how, like I was talking about with three o'clock high, this film does have a bit of an anxiety factor where you're just like, oh my God, this guy's winning. And when is he going to lose? You know, he just is a lovable loser. This guy's just down on his luck at the beginning of the movie. It feels that way. And his buddy played by David Johansson, who's kind of like this bad luck charm (laughs) on his shoulder the whole time. And it's really well-written in my opinion. And you just don't hear about it and has one of the ultimate feel good endings. And you can, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to spoil it. You can probably tell by what I just said, how it ends, but it does. I'll just say this. There's a great quote at the end when Terry Gard, his wife comes up to Jay Trotter played by Richard Dreyfuss. And she says, why is everyone cheering? And he simply replies, because I'm having a very good day. Great ending. I had a couple other th- Oh, one of my other favorite things from this movie is the song that they use in it. And they take it from the musical Guys and Dolls from 1955. It's a song called Fugue for Tin Horns. And I don't know if you've ever heard this song, Bill, but it's great. And it just goes, I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. And here's a guy that says, if the weather is clear, can do, can do. This guy says the horse can do. And then these two other guys chime in and they go in a round. And it's a hilarious mm-hmm. song from that classic musical Guys and Dolls. So that's another feel-good aspect of this movie. I love the movie Let It Ride. Oh, great choice. Good, yeah, being a huge uh, Richard Dreyfuss fan myself from uh, Jaws. And of course, this was one sure. of those movies I wanted to watch. And it took me forever to finally see it. I don't think I saw it finally until the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, but I've only seen it the one time. So... Uh, listening to you describe it definitely brings back uh, memories from that film. It's definitely under the radar. Uh, that's a perfect choice for this pod. Well, I'm glad you think so. And I recommend it to anybody out there. If you are having a downer of a day, just watch it. It'll lift your spirits. It's not like the perfect film. It's a very easy movie to watch. And it's just feel good stuff, man. And it's funny. It's I Trust me, it's genuinely funny. That's all I got. What's your number three, my friend? Um, so my number three... My mom took me to see this movie and I knew nothing about it going in. And I remember asking my mom was like, Oh, is this a sequel? Do I need to see the first one before this? Am I going to understand what's going on? And the movie was from 1983 called Max Dugan returns. Oh, sure. Yeah. I can't say that I've seen this all the way through, but I I definitely know the name. Please continue. So it stars uh, Jason Robarms, uh, Marsha Mason, Donald Sutherland, and I think it's the film debut of Matthew Broderick. And it was directed by Herbert Ross, who had done Footloose, and it was written by Neil Simon. Matthew Broderick had a lot, did a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of Neil Simon plays, a lot of Neil Simon Blues, right? Yep. Yeah. So here's the crazy tagline for this movie Prices are double, your love life's in trouble, the car won't start, your boss has no heart, the door squeaks, the roof leaks. Stereo just went mono. All you need is a little Max Dugan. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So the plot of the movie is uh, Marsha Mason. She plays an English teacher who is a struggling single mom. And her life gets disrupted when her father, who's Max, comes back into her life. So basically, it basically starts. It's uh, Marsha and her son, uh, Matthew Broderick. They're like poorer than poor. Um, everything in their house doesn't work. They have a car that's like 40 years old. It gets stolen like five minutes into the film. 
And then all of a sudden her dad shows up. Well, supposedly her dad steals all this money from the mob and he's trying to buy back all the time he's missed and love. So like they would leave every time they come to the house, it's like the refrigerator broke. All of a sudden they have a brand new top of the line fridge. They have a new car. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but he's using all the money that he stole from the mob to do this right. for his family, whom he's trying to like make reparations. Right. To. Okay. And of course, at the same time, when um, Marsha's car got stolen, she meets the, the police officer played by Donald Sutherland. They start a relationship. So, of course, he's kind of suspicious of who Jason Robarbs is, who plays Max. And, you know, she's trying to keep him in between the two of them. And then there's this whole thing with um, Matthew Broderick, where he's trying to play on the baseball team. He's like the worst hitter. So, of course... Max hires like the baseball hitting instructor from the Dodgers to come out and show him how to hit. So he's, he's solving all their problems with money. And it really just comes down to is can the mom have a relationship with this cop while also trying to make amends with her dad without her dad getting arrested because the cop's going to eventually find out who he is. Sure. Um, so There's yeah, it, tension it, built in there. I like it. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a fun little movie. I knew nothing about it going in when I, when I saw it, but it just memorable. What just, you know, from my mom uh, taking me to see it. And um, great. Yeah, every time we come on, yeah, I've just, I would just have to check it out and relive it. That's great, man. Yeah, Max That's kind of bittersweet. I like that story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing bill. Yeah. Uh, Max Dugan returns. You know, it's funny because it sounds like it would either be the sequel to something or like an action oriented, like spy thriller of some sort. I don't know. Right. That's yeah. But it's more of a family drama. Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. I uh, see. I love this, man, because these are the under the radar movies now that I feel like I need to see and check out. Thanks to uh, your description there. Good choice, Bill. Uh, we're moving on to Quattro. Yes. What do you have? Number four. Uh, I'm going to stick to the late 80s, man. And this is an action adventure thriller that I believe I brought up in conversation during a podcast or surrounding a podcast with you, Bill Bant. This one's called Shoot to Kill. That was almost on my list. That was number six. No kidding. I that almost put it on the amazing. list. Yeah. And it, right? Well, great minds, man. Great minds because this is, in my opinion, fits this perfectly. Now, although I believe this is very worthy of a podcast. Yeah, um, it's borderline, but I don't think anybody knows it. Well, that's the thing. And interest, funny enough, in the research, this is one of the few movies that is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, if that makes any difference to you. Wow. Okay. And funny enough, it on Rotten Tomatoes, it goes by its alternate title, which is Deadly Pursuit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how, there you go. Shoot to Kill from 1988 was directed by Robert Spottiswood, starring Sidney Poitier, Tom Berenger, Kirstie Alley, and Clancy Brown. Here's the log line. An FBI agent teams up with a tracker to pursue a murderer after he vanishes into the mountains and infiltrates a hiking group. So right out of the gate, let's talk about Sidney Poitier. Reputation proceeds. He's the man. Of course. Funny side story. I just got back from a cruise vacation, which was, of course, beautiful and wonderful with my parents and family friends. And we were in Nassau, the Bahamas, 
where Sydney Poitier happens to be from. And we took a taxi tour. Our taxi driver brings up Sydney Poitier as we're going over the Sydney Poitier Bridge in Nassau. And he starts mentioning Sydney Poitier's movie titles. And I chimed in because I knew a couple of them and he was impressed. But uh, that was just kind of a random thing. And uh, so I am a fan. This had been 10 years since he had done a feature film before he did Shoot to Kill in 1988. And wonderful actor, of course, known from Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Heat of the Night, etc. Tom Berenger, we know, Kirstie Alley, big fan, of course. Now, I have to talk about Clancy Brown for a moment. And for whatever reason, I actually, when I hear or see Clancy Brown, I think of this movie. Oh. I don't actually think of Highlander. I th- Yeah, Highlander. Which would be... Most people being a fan of the A's would be their first go-to. But what, for whatever reason, this is the movie I think of. And here's another comment on Clancy Brown, who is a wonderful uh, character actor still working today. I just saw him in Promising Young Woman as Carrie Mulligan's dad. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, this dude is not aging. What's going on? What pills is he taking? And then I went to his IMDb. He's only 14 years older than us. So he's not that... I mean, he's older, but he's not that old. So he must have been really young. And he's just looked more mature or older. Maybe it was hair color. I don't know. But I always thought he was much older than he is. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah, man. Hell yeah. Clancy Brown is the freaking man. Mm -hmm. Another Talk about an under-the-radar actor. I'm sure he's obviously well-respected and admired character actor. But, man, wonderful Uh, And he is a very bad man in this movie. Brief description, you have FBI agent Sidney Poitier, who is tracking this murder, the killer. It opens with a jewel thief heist sort of thing. And bottom line is Clancy Brown's character is a vicious killer. He kills in cold blood and he has a habit of shooting people in the eye. Not, Not good, pretty violent. So that's established and goes off to the mountains. That's where he's trying to escape to and he joins a hiking group. And Sidney Poitier is not uh, accustomed to navigating the mountains. And that's why he hires Tom Berenger, who is a tracker, to help him. And it's pretty gnarly, man. I uh, looked over some YouTube clips for this as well. And Clancy Brown is like taking out like the members of this hiking group that he infiltrates. And he's pushing them off a cliff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, it's bad. He's a bad guy. Uh, Yeah, it's very tense. It's great action. This is a really just solid film from every aspect of filmmaking. Well-directed, well-acted, good action. And the last, yeah, the final sequence taking place on a ferry, really intense shootout. Mm -hmm. They're falling into ice cold water. And then, spoiler alert, Sidney Poitier shoots Clancy Brown in the eye. So he gets his comeuppance. Tom Berenger, of course, gives an assist. He's a badass, too. He's the rugged, rough mountain man in it. Kirstie Alley's hot. What else can you say? I recommend it. Shoot to Kill is just solid, man. This So bottom line is this is a movie I watched over and over again. Whenever it was the movie you would catch, and it was just like if there was nothing else on, I'm like, yeah, this is just solid. I'll just, I. it's not as if I'm like, this is the best movie of all time, but why am I, I, I can't turn it off. I'll watch it. I'll just be like, yeah, I want to see what happens when they go into the mountains. How is he going to, how are they going to get him in the end? Uh, How bad is this bad guy? Oh yeah. He's really bad. 
And then I'm like, oh yeah, Kirstie Alley, she looked great. Oh yeah, I'm stuck now. I'm going to watch the whole thing. Right. It's one of those movies. You just get caught up in it. I just get caught up and shoot to kill. Recommend it. Yeah, because you know Tom Berenger was coming off his fame from Platoon. Yeah, you know Sidney Poitier from the from the break. Because then, yeah, because then really for like the next like couple of years, you know Sidney Poitier did a a couple of movies. I couldn't remember which one was the Kickstarter, but yeah, I guess it was it was this one. So yeah, it was almost on my list. I was almost going to put it on, and then I was like, ah, it's borderline. You know, I was like, maybe we could do a show on in the future at some point. So yeah. For we'll sure. See. Yeah. The listeners, if the listeners ask, we may have to oblige on that one. It'd be, it'd be good to go back. Yeah. Cause I mean, most of these movies I have not seen in a long time. Right. And now I'm like, damn, I got to find time to watch all these movies now. Shit. Well, that that's the thing. When you start watching the YouTube clips, which I am one of the reasons why I love YouTube, I'm glad it's there for this reason, at least is to watch little snippets or even just watch the trailer. And you're like, Oh wow. I completely forgot about that. And that's part of the reason why I used to watch it all the time as a kid. So highly recommend it. Yes. What's your quattro? Likewise. Um, So this is a movie I used to watch all the time on HBO. Uh, It came out in 1985. It's called The Emerald Forest. Ah, I came across it in my search. Oh, did you? Please tell me about it because I I couldn't, but I couldn't. I'm like, oh, I know this one and I've seen it, but I couldn't remember anything from it. So please, please uh, enlighten us. So it stars uh, Power Booth and uh, Meg Foster. Uh, directed by John Borman, who also had directed Excalibur, another 80s classic. Hell and yeah. tagline is, what kind of man would return year after year for 10 years to rescue a missing boy from the most savage jungle in the world? His father. So this movie is actually based on a true story. So it's a son of an engineer um, who's abducted by an Aborigine tribe on the edge of the rainforest. And the engineer spends the next 10 years trying to find him. And then he eventually does. But now his son is technically now spent more time of his life with this tribe and with his family that he really doesn't want to go back. He's now part of this tribe. He's part of this family. He's, He's met someone he's fallen in love with. And his father is trying to convince him. You got to come back. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. Is, this, this sounds is your, yeah, this is intense. Your, right. True family. Serious relationship. Yeah. He, okay. Yeah. He yeah. gets caught up in this whole war with this other warring tribe. And um, yeah, I just, oh, man. Every time it came on, I used to, I used to watch it. And then um, Howard Spooth, man. Yeah. Definitely comes across multiple times. Yeah. Uh, or you come across him. And if you're going to do 80s movies research, he's a, he's a heavy hitter, man. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first the movie I saw him in. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating film. I, I would definitely say check it out. I, I need to read the story, what this is based on. That's really scary, you know, to think about it. That I was going to say it's reminiscent of a more recent film, a Charlie Hunnam vehicle called Lost City of Z. I've never seen that. It's a little bit similar in storyline where it's about an explorer who's really going after this lost city. And then his son either joins him and then, but they disappear. And it's loosely like based on a true story. It's good. It was good. I don't know if there's any correlation with Emerald Forest, though. Anyway, just made me think of Lost City of Z. That's all. Yeah, and it, you know, it discusses about how you know here we are going and destroying the rainforest to build this huge dam, and right, people, you know, destroying people's land and the environment and all that kind of stuff. So it's a great it's, plot. It's a yeah. great if it. Yeah, I mean, obviously based on a mm-hmm. an actual. Did you say a true story? 
yeah based on actual story yeah um yeah i think if you look it up i'll tell you what the article is that they based this on so huh. i don't i don't know how that's true it worth is. doing a deeper dive on for yeah. sure but yeah it was it was one of those movies i loved watching all the time when it was on cable right can you but, did you already spoil it did you tell what's the how does it end uh i'm not going to give it away okay whatever man tease yep see how it is check it out good that's great man emerald forest mm-hmm. all right all right Moving on to, last one. yeah this is it man number five of our under the radar 80s movies i have to admit this one has probably not been under the radar i don't know if it's pod worthy but this is the one that i watched probably the, uh, god it's up there with one of the most i've watched outside of space balls <laughs> <laughs> uh this is iron eagle Iron Eagle from 1986, same year Top Gun comes out. Oh, yeah. Directed by Sidney J. Fury, starring Louis Gossett Jr., the man. Also, Jason Gedrick and David Suchet, but I'd like to pronounce it Suckett. David Suckett. It's probably Suchet. So Louis Gossett Jr., Jason Gedrick, David uh, Suchet. And the logline reads as such. A young pilot plans a rescue mission when his father, an Air Force colonel, is shot down over enemy territory and captured. And there you have it. Jason Gedrick is this hotshot young pilot, and his dad gets captured somewhere in the Middle East. And it's um, very stereotypical and non-PC. And <laughs> he wants to rescue his dad, and he's got to figure out somehow to how how, how is he going to do it? And he... Uh, befriends Louis Gossett Jr., who is a veteran pilot, and they fly these F-16 fighter jets, which are amazing. And Louis Gossett Jr.'s name is Chappie in this, and Jason Gedrick plays the role of Doug. So Doug and Chappie become chummy, <laughs> and uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is very much the mentor. It's great. Uh, it's just it's total 80s action fun, completely cheesy. You get Jason Gedrick in an F-16 putting a cassette tape into his, you know, cassette player in his, you know, his Walkman and he's got the headphones on inside his helmet and he's listened to queen, like the queen. It's a great soundtrack rock and roll. He's listened to like one vision by queen as oh, he's yeah. cruising, f- flying through the, the blue skies and the clouds in his F 16. It's like rock and roll. So I'm watching this as a kid. And now I may have shared this in previous pods, but a little bit about myself. My dad is a pilot. So I grew up being a fan of flying and a fan of my dad's and he would come home sometimes in his flight suit because he was in the air force and uh, he, you know, had trained on fighter jets and then moved on to flying the C-130 and he flew in Vietnam and he would come home again in his fighter. And he had a fighter, uh, like he had a flight helmet with the oxygen mask and the uh, green like jumpsuit flight suit that zipped Mm. up and the patches on it. And I was just like, dude, you're stuck. This is cool. I want that. And of course, in grade school, I was like career day, but it wasn't when, the one where you like actually bring your parents in or the person whomever you want to share the career, you know, who had the career and you're going to share it, the whole story with them. This was just you talk about a career. So I decided to share like a, my dad's career. So I'm in front of the class and I put together a video presentation with clips from Iron Eagle. <laughs> It's totally cheesy. And I brought as visual aids, the actual flight helmet with the Austin mask. And I dressed up in the 
like the flight suit, which was way too big because my dad's six, four and I'm only five, nine. So mm-hmm. um, pretty funny, probably even shorter than Iron Eagle. Lots of fun. Uh, I talked about the relationship between Louis Gossett Jr. and Jason Kedrick. It's great. Uh, it's bittersweet at the end because they actually fly somehow. Speaking of under the radar. Yes. All the way over to the Middle East. And they blow up like this Middle Eastern airbase and they rescue his dad. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. I'm unlike Bill. I'm giving everything away. And you think Louis Gus. Anyway. I, okay. I'll just stop. Bill's shaking his head. I know. I just, but it's great. It's, you know, bittersweet ending rock and roll soundtrack, rock and roll action. If you love Top Gun, this is not Top Gun. It's not the same tier. It's a tier below, but still as a kid that was on, you know, repeat on the movie channels and I just watched it all the time. And I uh, was like, I'm going to be that guy someday, you know, cause I looked up to my dad and, and I, I loved flying and you, know, the Americans win rah, rah, all that stuff. And uh, doesn't quite hold up probably today. I haven't watched it in a long time. There's probably some unintentional funny stuff in there, but here the soundtrack album features songs by queen King Cobra, Eric Martin, Dio, Adrenaline and George Clinton. So wow. there you go. Iron Eagle from 1986. That's my final pick. Wow. I've only seen Iron Eagle once. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember a thing about times. it. I don't remember anything about it. I know there's like 15 of them, maybe. There's three sequels, and Louis Gossett Jr. was the only actor to be in all of film. All of the okay. films. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds something, unfortunately, Louis Gossett Jr. would do. It's like an Oscar winner who just became the king of the B movies. Right. Yeah. He didn't start off in the B movies. I mean, when I think the first movie that comes to my mind is uh, Officer and Gentleman. Oh, of course. Which is amazing. Always. And then, yeah, it just, it just, I don't know. He could just never cash in on that success. You know, he's, he's doing Iron, Iron Eagle. It's hilarious. But I know, I know there is fans out there because I have a friend who does a podcast and he was like, oh, if I ever guessed on your show, can we do Iron Eagle? Oh. So I was just kind of like, wow, I didn't realize how. Oh, yeah, I, have to, I definitely have to preface this one. It's probably not so much under the radar, but it just fit for me because, again, you don't hear it much in popular culture, especially today. And also, uh, this is a movie as a kid I watched a million times. And who knows? Uh, you know, maybe uh, we'll do it later, on, especially if we have your friend on. Uh, that would be great. That's why I laugh about like the season one of Cobra Kai. Johnny was always watching Iron Eagle, and I would just kind of laugh. Oh. I'm like, I've, I'm like, I've <laughs> I only, forgot about that. I'm like, I've only seen this movie once, and I never saw the sequel. So, yeah, I might have to revisit that one myself now. There you go. Let's see what it's all about. All right. So my last film. This is a movie I watched a ton as a like a little little kid. So this came out in 1980, and I tried watching it again just to make sure. I'm like, this movie is probably horrible. But I was at the right age to see it. So I, I tr- actually tried watching it on YouTube. But every time it was so late, I kept falling asleep. It was from 1980. It was called Super Fuzz, a.k.a. Oh. Super Snooper. And um, oh, my gosh, I, for- I think I know this movie. Keep going. Yeah, just because of the the music. I always remember the music. I always had like this. And it just had this cheesy song. <laughs> Super, super. It would say all the time. And it stars uh, Terrence Hill and Ernest Borgnine. 
and it was directed by Sergio Curbucci, who's an Italian director. I think this is the only pseudo-American film. And here's the tagline for the movie. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a SWAT team, and up, up, and away, the funniest superhero of them all. It's about this um, cop, Dave Speeves, played by Terrence Hill, who's an Italian actor who, and it, it, the movie takes place in Florida, does not try to hide an accent whatsoever, which is kind of jarring because you have all these American actors and then you have this Italian guy trying to play this American cop and it's just weird. So for some reason, he's asked to go to a, this tribe in the Everglades to hand in a speeding ticket not knowing they're doing some nuclear testing and the bomb goes off and it spreads this red powder on him. So it gives him superpowers, but the superpowers don't work if he sees the color red. Right. Okay. So, See that bring that's jogging my memory a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, he ha- and it's one of those movies that starts off with he's in prison. He's going to be executed because he's been framed for murder. And of course it tells the story up to that point. And this is like the third time they've been trying to execute him. And every time because of his powers, he gets out of it. He gets out and, and saves the day. But yeah, it's I just love that movie as a kid. It's just so cheeseball. And I was just like, all right, let me just watch to see if this is really, really bad. Right. But it was actually OK of what I went back and, and saw. I mean, some of the special effects are horrible. There's one where like he jumps out of a window and you literally see like they throw a dummy out yeah. the window and just oh, you know that great. that stiff fall yeah. flat but yeah it was a kid every time that was on i had to stop and watch it i just loved it this is super fuzz great call man that's yeah, awesome fun. i'm pretty sure i uh that sounds way too familiar super, I, know super. <laughs> I know i've seen it i know i've had uh, it's just too familiar. yeah if anybody had hbo in the early 80s yeah, yeah. you know you saw it and you can yeah you can find it on youtube for free so um, I'm gonna go back check it out. It's hilarious, amazing, wonderful, wonderful pick to round us out, man. Well done, Bill Bant. That was fun. I gotta go see Super Fuzz now just to hear that song. Yes, well, I'm, while I watch Iron Eagle, um, I was surprised when I was going through. I didn't really have any like action films, um, so it's good that you came up with like Cyborg and and Shoot to Kill, like. The most action maybe would be like the Emerald Forest. So um, I don't know. So I was just afraid. I'm like, oh, maybe we will do these. Yeah, because I was trying to think of some. I was trying to vary the genre a bit. Uh, try to get a little bit of some, you know, each genre, whether it be horror, comedy, coming of age, mm-hmm. um, action, adventure. But um, the, I'm sure there. I, I know there's a lot of like cheesy '80s uh, cop movies. I'm sure I, I glossed over and missed. No, oh, yeah. I'm going to kick myself from it, but we can do another mini soda at any time. That's true. Yeah, those are just the ones that, that really just stood out for me. All right. Great so, list, just, man. Great yeah. list, Bill. Yes, that was, that was fun. I have a lot of movies I got to rewatch now. Uh, so, I think that about wraps it up for this week's mini soda. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we will be discussing the 1985 comedy Just One of the Guys, which Jason's been begging me to do for a long time. <laughs> Let's just come out and say it. Uh, so starring true. Joyce Heiser. Finally! As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at All 80s Movies Podcast or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. 
until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. 